Good morning, church family. The Bible tells us that the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. And that's why we come here to this virtual platform to get a forever word. A word that continually reminds us of God's promises. A word that comforts us when we're sad. And it also uplifts us and reminds us of all the things that God can do for us regardless of how we feel. That God's faithfulness is eternal. And God's love is everlasting. So I'm so glad to be with you on this Sunday. I'm so glad to bring you a word from the Lord. Just a couple of shout outs and reminders. Once again, even though we did it last Sunday, I want to shout out to all the graduates again. I want to thank our media team for putting together the uh, shout out video we had for all of the graduates that graduated. Whether you were in graduated from elementary school to middle school, from middle school to high school, from high school to college and from college to the real world. We are proud of you. And if you haven't seen it, go back and look at that video. It's on our social media platforms. And I'm just so excited for everyone that is taking their education seriously and looking at doing all the things they need to do to move forward in life. Nonetheless, another great announcement in which we have is that we are coming back into the sanctuary live. So this Wednesday coming up, we will be having a live Bible study. Yes, it's been a long time. It's been a long time. I've been here alone preaching the word, been in here alone doing it, uh, maybe with one or two people sometimes. But nonetheless, the Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So we can start coming back for Bible study. Bible study's time will be changing to 7 o'clock on Wednesday, and I'll be so glad to see you at that. We're having, making sure you wear your face mask. You know, so come in with your face mask and we'll be glad to see you with that. Nonetheless, um, there is a word from the Lord. And this word from the Lord this Sunday comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. That's Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 25. I'm reading a couple of scriptures and I hope you all don't mind. We come to church to not only hear the preached word, but also to hear the word of God declared and read aloud. So turn in your Bibles with me or on your smartphones or just look at the screen to verse 18 where it says, As he walked by the sea of Galilee, somebody say Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Somebody say fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately. Ooh, say immediately. They left their nets, followed him, and he went from there and saw two other brothers. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and on the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately. Somebody say immediately. They left their boat and their father and followed him. Him is Jesus. Coming down to verse 23, it says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So his fame spread all throughout Syria. They brought to him all the sick, 
those who were afflicted with various diseases and pains, demonics, epileptics, paralytics, and he cured them. And great crowds formed, and great crowds followed him from Galilee, Diopolis, and Jerusalem, Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, to the hearing of this word. I titled today's sermon, Under the Influence. Under the Influence. We're coming out of Matthew chapter 4. And I've read verses 18 through 25. And specifically on this Sunday, I want to talk about the power of influence. You see, as Christians, we should never take for granted or never underestimate the power of influence. You see, this means you should consistently be asking yourself, what influence do I have in a situation or on a person? And what influence does this person or situation have on me? You see, there is a power in being influenced. We, in many cases, are always under some sort of influence. We must not take for granted the power of influence. I'm sure you all have experienced this or, or watched this happen in your personal lives. When it comes to the power of influence, you'll notice in a workplace, if you've identified yourself as a Christian, or if somebody else has identified themselves as an avid churchgoer, as soon as that person says something that's unchristian-like or, 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 or somebody does something that upsets them and they tell God, I'll be back in a second, and they go get that person together, even either with their actions or their words, the first thing that somebody will say is, you see, that's why I don't go to church as it is. Because it's full of hypocrites. That's why I don't deal with church people because they, 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 they're always pretending to be one way, pretending to be so holy, but they're no better than us. People always use excuses for why they don't go to church or why they don't believe or why they don't associate with church people based off the influences they see on how Christians act. I'm sure you've heard that before. I remember when we were coming into the sanctuary and when we were having church, and you know, we don't have a traditional form of what we call Sunday school here. We call it an hour of power. And I went to the men's hour of power, and Deacon Jones was, was teaching, and he was talking about how on his job, he gave the example of how as a manager, he has to deal with difficult situations oftentimes. And he talked about how a lady at his job came to him after dealing with a very difficult situation and said, you must be a Christian. She said, I can tell you're a Christian just because of how you handle that situation. I can tell you're a Christian just because of how you've conducted yourself and the words you're using. She was able to tell that one of our deacons was a good Christian. And brothers and sisters, what that does is show the power of influence just based off your actions. The power of influence just based off your words and that people get an impression of who you are and whose you are all based off of 
how you act. You see, this is the power of influence. What I like to do is when I send emails, I like to always have a quote at the bottom. And one of the quotes that I frequently use that's at the bottom of most emails that I send is live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. I'm going to say that again. I said the quote says live in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. That makes me think of the book of Ruth. And in the book of Ruth, we have Naomi who was married and Naomi's husband dies. And not only does Naomi's husband die, but Naomi's husband's children die. And she had some sister-in-laws or, or I'm sorry, she had some daughter-in-laws that were married to these men. And all the men in their lives had died. So therefore, they had lost at, during that time, which would have been their covering and protection. And one of them, Orpah, decided to just leave Naomi and go home. But the other one named Ruth stayed with Naomi. And brothers and sisters in Ruth, chapter 1, verse 15, Naomi said to Ruth, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. She said, go back with her. Basically saying, just, just leave me by myself. Everyone else has died. Our, our covering has died. Just go back with her and, and, and fend for yourself. But watch what Ruth says. Ruth's, Ruth replies, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. She said, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Brothers and sisters, how many people want to know God because they know you. Brothers and sisters, how many people want to know the God you serve because of the way you serve him? Brothers and sisters, this speaks to the power of influence and what type of influence your character has. What type of influence your words have. What type of influence your mannerism and your morality have. You see, the power of influence as Christians should always lead people to salvation. This is the power of influence. This is a description of how in some way, shape, form, or fashion, we are always under the influence. You see, the power of influence is like a planted seed that can either add to a garden or be like weeds that take away and this leads us to the question of what influence have you had on somebody's life? What influence or what influence do you make in situations? Do you make them better or do you make them worse? Brothers and sisters, what influence have you had over the course of your life? In today's text, we see the power of influence. Matthew chapter 4 verses 18 through 25 displays how a brief encounter influences people to change their lives and follow Jesus. Jesus just had a brief encounter that changed these men's lives and influenced them 
to follow him. The brief encounter has left an imprint in history that influences us today. You see, the entire New Testament is about this one man, Jesus, that influenced the world. And the entire Old Testament is basically a record that leads us to this one man, Jesus, that transformed the entire world. Brothers and sisters, the power of influence is something not to be taken for granted. We must ask of the text, what influenced or what influence did Jesus have to cause these men, these sons of Zebedee? What, 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 what influence did Jesus have on Peter? What influence did he have to, to, to inspire them to leave everything and follow him? You see, Jesus is just beginning his ministry in Galilee. And we're in chapter 4 here of the text, but... If you go back a little further, you realize that Jesus has just come through being tempted 40 days in the wilderness. Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. Jesus has just been confirmed by his heavenly father that just descended as a, like a dove and said, this is my son, my beloved. You got to keep that part in there. This is my son, my beloved, whom I am well pleased you see, this is before all the miracles. This is before all of the hype. This is Jesus prior to turning water into wine. This is Jesus prior to healing the sick or the blind. This is Jesus prior to raising anybody from the dead. This is Jesus that hasn't even died for all mankind yet. This is Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus is beginning his ministry, and at this point in Matthew, gathering his disciples. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus is teaching two lessons. He's teaching us how God cares and how to care. Brothers and sisters, if we go down, we start at verse 18 and look at 18, 19, and 21, we realize Jesus is teaching us how to first see. And he's teaching us how to see through showing us that he sees us. Verse 18 says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets into the lake for they were fishermen. And what does Jesus do for, at verse 19? He says, come follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And if we go to verse 21, when he encounters the, 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 the sons of Zebedee, it says, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing nets, and Jesus called to them. So we see in these verses this theme of how Jesus sees his disciples first. And not only does he just see them, but he sees the work they're doing. Brothers and sisters, did you know that most people fall out with God because they feel like he's not there and because they feel as though God doesn't see them in their struggle? 
you realize that oftentimes we feel unseen and we feel isolated in our struggle. And that's what causes us to start leaning on our own understanding instead of trusting in God's will. You see, this reminds me of an experience that I had in seminary where we had this exercise we did. It was very strange, very strange kind of exercise. I had, hadn't done this one before. And what they had, they had all of us that were in class stand up and get a partner and take our chairs and put the chairs one in front of the other. And with the partner you selected, you would sit in the chair and then the instructor would come with a timer and he said, what I'm going to have you do is each one of you will look into each other's eyes for a minute and a half. You're just going to sit here looking into each other's eyes. Now when, now when he said this, I thought this was a little strange. I said to myself, I said, you know, this is why I should have went to one of the black seminaries because now it's starting to get a little weird here. But nonetheless, I sat through it and brothers and sisters, before they started the timer, what they did that was interesting was bring out boxes of tissue. You see, they had done this before. They knew what was going to happen. And they started putting little boxes of tissue around the room. And I'm thinking, what is the tissue for? And to my surprise, when the clock started and, and people began to look in each other's eyes and were given the instructions to after looking for the other person in the other person's eyes and at their face for a minute and a half, they had to say something positive to that person and the other person would say something positive back to them after looking at them for a minute and a half. People got emotional and started crying. And then we had a testimony piece where people could get up and talk about their experience and brothers and sisters, it was amazing to see how many men and women stood up and said how emotional and how impactful it was with just that one minute and 30 seconds, somebody sitting in front of them and actually seeing them. Brothers and sisters, people stood up in the room and said, I've gone this entire school year and not felt seen. Some of them stood up and said, I've not felt seen by my professors. I've not felt seen by my family. I've not felt seen by my significant other, my husband, my wife. I've not felt seen by my children. I feel so isolated and trying to balance school. I feel so isolated and trying to balance work. I feel so isolated and trying to balance family time. Sometimes I just feel like I'm not seen. And brothers and sisters, some of us go through life aimlessly. Wondering why we feel so upset, wondering why we feel so alone. And it's because psychologically and, and internally we feel unseen. And brothers and sisters, I came to remind you in the text today that Jesus sees you in your struggle. Jesus knows what you're going through. Jesus isn't just talking and isn't just throwing promises out there. Jesus' ministry is relevant to what you're going through. I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm excited in this moment, so I'm going to tell it anyway. As I've been coming up here to the church, there's been a little friend that's been up here with me. This little friend is a wild turkey. Some of you all can remember there used to be like a little turkey farm or something, I guess, somewhere in the area over here. And 
The person that ran that farm has died, but nonetheless, his turkey's been wandering all around. And we have a, resi a, a turkey in residence here at the church that sleeps on the church steps. We have to clean the steps every morning because he leaves uh, little gifts for us every day. But nonetheless, we have a turkey in residence. And brothers and sisters, I began to ask myself, why does this turkey sleep on the church steps every day at this particular building? As you all know, we have two buildings. We have the Yellow House and the Rock House. And there's it, it, plenty of other places the turkey could sleep. But it likes to get right up by the door and use the bathroom all over the walkway. And I'm like, Lord, why does the turkey sleep here? And brothers and sisters, I realize that our doors on the church, while they're glass, the turkey can still see its reflection. And I don't know if the turkey knows that it's seeing itself or it's thinking that it's seeing another turkey. But just the fact that it sees something that looks like itself it feels as though it's connected to some form of community. And brothers and sisters, even the turkey desires to be seen. Even the turkey has a desire to feel some sort of connection as it's lost and wandered around by itself. This is a lone turkey. And brothers and sisters, you best believe as humans, sometimes we have the innate desire to just be seen. To just feel like somebody understands what we're dealing with, what we're going through. And brothers and sisters, what the text shows us today is that Jesus, before he does anything else, first thing he does is sees us. He sees us in our struggles. He sees us in our pain. And you can trust in a God that sees you. But now that we know that God sees us, it's our job as Christians to influence others by making sure we see them. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, what I'm talking about is how sometimes as Christians, we find ourselves always thinking we have the answer. You see, this is a difficult concept for Christians because as soon as we see somebody, we feel as though we have all the answers to their problems. We feel as though every answer to the issue is just, oh, just pray for it. Oh, just do, you know, you know, before someone's even gotten some of their answers out good, we're not even listening to what they're dealing with because we're so caught up on what we've dealt with that seems similar. But brothers and sisters, I came this Sunday morning to let you know that as Christians, it's our job to also take the time to see through listening to people. And identifying what they're dealing with. Brothers and sisters, while we do a lot of talking, we've realized that we've not heard anything that the person needs. You see, Matthew 4, 18 shows us that Jesus does more watching and listening than speaking. You see, what Jesus does, it says, he says, I will make you fishers of men. So what he does is, he uses what he saw. He saw them fishing and incorporated into what he said. And what that goes to show is he didn't just come up just telling them anything. He didn't just come up and giving them, gave them just his agenda. He partnered his agenda with something they already had going on. And what that does is speak to the fact as Christians, we first must pay attention. 
We first must see people for who they are. We first must identify what's going on because that's how we get to the source and the root of the issue. If you just look at somebody and judge them and are ready to write them off, you haven't truly seen what they're dealing with. Oftentimes when you're dealing with someone that's irate. Oftentimes when you're dealing with someone that has a short temper. Oftentimes when you're dealing with somebody that just seems so belligerent. That's a mask for something else they're dealing with. And if you're only dealing with the surface, you won't get to the root of what's going on. And what you have to realize is they just desire somebody to see them. That they've learned to be this way. They've learned to put on this mask. They've learned to put on this front. Because life hasn't been no crystal staircase. They've learned to build up this armor to protect themselves from the hurt and pain that they've experienced. And as Christians, our influence first must be to see before we go out with answers. I'm not done yet. I know you're wondering, Pastor, where are we going? I'm teaching you about the power of influence. Recently, I took a class through the military called the seven habits of highly effective people. And it was the seven habits of highly effective people, marriages and families. And the number one issue that they talked about in this class was communication from the lack of either family members, either those that are in marriages or either even people on your job missing each other in communication because they aren't truly listening or seeing the needs of the other individual. And therefore, the other person feels as though the person that's not listening to them, even though they're venting and pouring out their heart or their soul or whatever they have dealing with, that they, they, they grow to resent them over time because they feel like all, all, all you do is just come up with the answers. All you do is just try to tell me how to live my life. And that pulls a rift in families. That pulls a rift in marriages because someone doesn't feel seen or heard. And brothers and sisters, I guarantee if you use a little bit of what Jesus taught, just took the time to listen, just took the time to watch, just took the time to see somebody for who they are and not for who they want, you want them to be, it'll change your relationships in your family. It'll change your relationships with your friends. It'll change your relationship in your marriage. Come with me to verse 20. At verse 22, you realize what Jesus now does is call people to leave from the things that they were once comfortable in. Hold up. Let me give you an example. At verse 20, it starts off by saying, at once they left their nets and followed him. Verse 22 says, immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And what that shows us, God calls us to leave behind certain people. God calls us to leave behind certain situations so that we can move forward into what God has called us to do. You can't be complacent and call yourself working for God. God calls you out of comfortability. God calls you out of complacency. God calls you out of all the things you thought you needed, all the people you thought you needed to show you that all you need is him. We see this in the Old Testament. I love to use this example over and over again because it's quite relevant to our struggles. It took 40 years to make a two-week trip. 
I'll say it again, 40 years to make a two-week trip, brothers and sisters, because the Israelites that had been freed from slavery, although they were physically freed, their mind was still in bondage. And the text tells us in Exodus that they complained to Moses. They complained to God and said, did he just bring us out here to the wilderness to die? They said, at least in slavery, we had food. At least in slavery, we had shelter. At least in slavery, we were treated a, a little bit better than the elements are treating us out here. And they started wishing that they were back in bondage. And brothers and sisters, some of us are like the Israelites that although God has removed us from certain people in certain situations that were holding us back, we find ourselves looking and reminiscing on the very things that God has removed us from. And brothers and sisters, although some of those things you found security in, although some of those things you might have found comfort in, although some of those things might have been things that you built your identity with, God is trying to call you into the newness of his promise. And you can never get to the promised land of what he has for you being stuck in the wilderness of an old tradition. Being stuck in the wilderness of an old mindset. Being stuck in the wilderness of I want to do it my way. Because brothers and sisters, Jesus comes in Matthew's gospel. And shows us that he has to call us from what we were once doing. So that we can immediately, the text says, so that we can at once leave behind those things. And move into newness and life. Brothers and sisters, imagine living 40 years of your life in the wilderness of the same mindset that keeps you from receiving God's promise. You see, if you are tired of that wilderness, you need to ask God to call you out of the attack of the enemy on your mind and of generational curses that plague your family. You need to say, Lord, created me a clean heart. Lord, created me a renewed spirit and right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not thine Holy Spirit from me. You need to pray that prayer, brothers and sisters. You see, the power of influence requires you to leave behind things not of God. That's why when he called Noah, Noah left behind people and the dry land. When he called Joseph, Joseph left behind his brothers and fathers. When God called Moses, Moses left behind Egypt and the palace. When he called Ruth, Ruth left behind her homeland for a new land. When he called Esther, Esther left behind her people and her father-in-law to become queen. You see, today's text shows us you can't remain in the same place mentally or spiritually and fully accept what God has for you. God calls us out of security. God calls us out of tradition. God calls us out of complacency. God calls us out of dependency. And God calls us into what he has promised our lives. Brothers and sisters, imagine if Detroit Red never left the streets of Detroit to become Malcolm X. Imagine if Marcus Garvey never left Jamaica for New York and started the Black Star Line. 
Imagine if Harriet Tubman never left the plantation to follow the North Star. Imagine if Booker T. Washington never left to walk 500 miles to Hampton Institute. Imagine if Fannie Lou Hamer never left the place of complacency to get tired of being sick and tired. Imagine if these people had just remained where they were. Matthew's gospel says Jesus called them and they left their nets, left the boat, left their family to follow him. Verse 23 teaches us that now after you've seen, now after you've left some things behind, now it's time for you to take action. Verse 23 says, Jesus went through Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. The lesson in this is that Jesus shows us the best influence is through action. He shows us that our actions speak louder than our words. You see, Christians must be cautious of people whose actions don't align with their words. And as Christians, we must be cognizant and make sure our actions always align with our words. You see, people will lie to you. People will lie and tell you you can trust them. People will lie and say they respect you. People will lie and say they love you until death do you part. They will lie and say they love you for better or for worse. People will say anything in the moment. But the test of time reveals all. You see, a person's actions reveals the truth of their character and their intentions. I know I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather someone walk with me than just to show the way. You see, the eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Advice may be misleading, but examples are always clear. For the very best of teachers are the ones who live their creed for. To see good put in motion is what everybody needs. I can soon learn to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hand in motion if your tongue too fast may run. But if the lectures you deliver may be very fine and true. But I'd rather get my lesson, y'all, by observing what you do. For I may misunderstand you and the fine advice you give. But there's no misunderstanding. How you act and how you live. Brothers and sisters, Matthew's gospel says Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. That was his personal creed. That was his personal mission. And it's through that influence, brothers and sisters, that we see through the lens of his actions that this is the manifestation of the promise of God. That God will heal you. That God can give you good news. That God can liberate you. That God can provide for you, brothers and sisters. As Christians, we should never underestimate the power of influence. 
You see, what's ironic about us being Christians is that in the name itself is the word Christ. And that's how we signify ourselves as followers specifically of Christ. You see, it's through the documentation of Jesus' influence, of Christ's influence in his birth, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection that we worship him thousands of years later past the time that all of this took place. Sometimes we forget this book is old. Sometimes we forget this book has been passed down through thousands of generations. Brothers and sisters, our Heavenly Father sent Jesus down as the physical incarnate form of himself to influence us to live better lives and also to grant us salvation so that we won't have to worry about where we go after we die. You see, brothers and sisters, the power of Jesus' influence was so impactful that it even splits time in half. We have things in the time continuum, or words, I should say, A.D. and B.C. A.D. in some places in Latin stands for Anno Domino, but in many cases in America we classify it as after death, and B.C. standing for before Christ, and this symbolizes that we mark history and time through the influence of Christ. Things that have happened before Christ and things that happened after his death. And brothers and sisters, that shows the power of influence. But what this also teaches us is how to move from influence to making an imprint. Jesus shows us how long-term influences leave lasting imprints. You see, we see the transition from influence to imprint in partnering Matthew chapter 4 with Acts 5. You all know what happened in Acts 5. I'm going to tell you anyway, but first we'll start with Matthew chapter 4, specifically with verse 23. It says, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Acts 5, starting at verse 12, says, here we go. The apostles performed many signs and wonders were done among the people through the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. It said none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, I'm sorry, Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women, so that, they, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as they came by. A great number of people would also gather from the towns and around Jerusalem bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Brothers and sisters, this shows us that Jesus' influence 
was so impactful that it left an imprint that not only impacted the few people that he met that started off as fishermen, they were able to pass on this to those that, that, that followed them after Jesus had died. Because brothers and sisters, Acts 5 takes place after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and gone back to the Father. So Jesus is no longer even in the picture with these men. But although Jesus is no longer in the picture, we see in Acts 5 that they're still carrying on the work from Acts chapter 4. So we can see from Acts, I'm sorry, in Acts 5, they are carrying on the work that's taking place from Matthew chapter 4. And although there is great distance from Matthew chapter 4 all the way to Acts chapter 5, we see that Jesus' influence has turned into an imprint that has impacted his disciples. His disciples have passed it on to all the people that followed them. And they passed it on from generation to generation. So now this imprint has had a lasting impact on not only the people's lives that were around Jesus at the time, but the people's lives who are still reading about Jesus 2,000 years later. And brothers and sisters, you have to ask yourself, what kind of influence are you having that could possibly leave a lasting impression? Brothers and sisters, if Jesus' ministry had only been influential, we wouldn't be reading about him today. Jesus left an imprint on his disciples that they passed to their fathers, followers that eventually became the gospel we have today. You see, brothers and sisters, if you all as Christians had to take a drug test, none of you all would pass. You would fail miserably because each and every one of us as Christians are under the influence. We are under the influence of a God that sees and teaches you how to see. We are under the influence of a God that calls you to leave your past life and follow him. We are under the influence of a God that calls us to action through the examples of his son's action. Brothers and sisters, we are under the influence of our Lord and Savior that has impacted this world for thousands of years. So therefore, you must ask yourself the question as a believer, will the influence you leave on people's lives? Leave a lasting, positive impression. Brothers and sisters, at some point in time, you have to make that commitment to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, not only in thought, not only in words, but in your actions, in your character. So that every encounter you have can be an evangelism moment. Not just through you quoting scripture, not just through you telling people who Jesus is, but through you showing people who Jesus is by how you love them. At this time, if you don't have a church home, and at this time, if you are looking to have a positive influence or looking for someone that can have a positive influence on your life, give the pastor your hand and give God your heart. And take this time 
to get to know a Savior who can change your life forever. A Savior that sees you, but will also call you out of the life of sin that you've been living. And will call you into action to serve him forever. So if you would like to make that commitment at this time and you don't have a church home or a good solid relationship with God. I pray that you take the time to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Brothers and sisters, it isn't easy. And if you are not a believer, I implore you to take this moment seriously by taking this invitation to Christ. And if you are a believer and want to rejuvenate that relationship, go back and read this scripture. Go back and read Acts. And go back and take time to pray and ask God to pull you from old mindsets. To draw you out of the wilderness so that you can truly make it to his promise. I thank you for joining us this Sunday. I pray that this word blesses you. And I hope you keep in mind that the joy you have, the world can't give it to you. And the world can't take it away. And that you as a follower of Christ must always remember, must always keep in mind that God loves you, that God will keep you, and that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen, and God bless you.